Welcome back to Second Growth Live. I'm Sydney, one of your hosts, joined with Sam. And we're going to get into an audience question um, that was submitted to us. So here's the question. What would the first 90 days look like if you were tasked with implementing a demand gen and content strategy in an effort to move beyond the traditional lead gen approach? Great question. And we're going to dig into that in this episode. So we have three key steps. We're going to chat through. I'm going to kick it off to Sam to kind of get us started. Yeah. I think there's a lot of marketers right now that are kind of bouncing around. Um, So I'm sure there's a lot of people who are just like, please give me a playbook for the first 90 days. Um, So yeah, I'd say if we simplify this down to three, three steps, first one would be get your historicals. Second one is laying the foundation. And then third one is building the content engine that's going to support the full framework. So the first one, um, this one's my favorite to totally nerd out on. So I'm going to steal this one and then I'll, I'll let you get into the second one. But um, get your historicals. So I think this is, is something that's absolutely critical just to understand where you're coming from. So whether you're moving up in an organization and you want to figure out what's been going on or you're joining a new one, you need to get a lay of the land to understand it all. So what I like to do is just get uh, a look back on the last 12 months. That's going to give you a full year's worth of data. Um, support seasonality, everything else that's going to come in it, and then break it out by channel and source. So for this, since we're, we're probably going to limit it a little bit more to like marketing for the, the sake of our conversation today, but you would want to do it across all your revenue channels. But when we say channel and source, think like high intent, low intent to oversimplify, but I'd be like, okay, people coming from your talk to sales CTA, people coming from content syndication, people coming from XYZ, just so you can see all of that. The next thing that you'll want to do is understand the core inputs that went into all of that and then what you can control as a marketer moving forward. So there's there's really five big levers, I would say, that, that you can look at from, from your side. So one is spend. So how much are you spending and whether it's um, ad, whether it's content production, promotion, you know, anything, but looking a lot of it from that standpoint. The second one is lead quality. So that's focused on, you know, how broad or narrow you're going with your messaging, who you're making your product available to and, and going after. Third one is looking at your your conversion rates from, I call, it's kind of like marketing the sales handoff, so to speak. So um, in Refined Labs terms, it's like the demo to hero, the high intent revenue opportunity rate. Um, that's a big one where you usually see a, a big drop off. Fourth one's win rate. That one is a little bit more on sales side, but you'd be surprised when you do start to do this analysis by channel source and, and look into segments, you will see clear trends around those that you win better with, worse with. So you'll want to do more of the former, less of the latter. And finally, ACV, same exact reason. You you can do different segmentations to figure out, okay, what industries are driving more revenue bands, company sizes. There's different things that you can look into to start to impact what is marketing driving. So you mentioned coming from traditional lead gen. So what you're probably seeing right now is a bunch of low intent leads that make the blended cost per lead look really good. When you remove those from the total pipeline and revenue numbers, don't be surprised if those numbers don't change much. A lot of it probably is coming from high intent. Um, So that's always a a good conversation with your exec around like, hey, we had a thousand leads last year, but... 100 high intent ones actually drove the majority of the revenue. So if we strip all the spend on this 900, we're, we're not going to change the bottom line, which is good. Now we can re-implement that to, to something that's going to make a difference. I'm going to jump in. I think yeah. that's a key um, insight is to present and look at this data through, we reference like pipeline sources here, um, but that's really what the concept that you're explaining is, is like, 
you have a pipeline source for your low intent and look at that separately than your high intent um, declared website conversions. And you should be able to clearly see and present the business case of why you should maybe move away or reprioritize efforts. Um, so I think that concept is key when you're looking at that 12 months of data. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And if they get caught up on, low, it's a really low cost, they'd be like, well, the customer acquisition cost is really high. So which one do you want? A bunch of low cost leads that don't do anything or you know, a $500,000 customer that's only ever gonna make you $50,000 if you're lucky. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, conversation for another time. Um, so another thing that you'll often see when you're coming from lead gen is the lack of quality, um, premature conversations that they're, they're really not ready to talk to sales yet. So you're going to see really low conversion rate between demos and heroes, and you're, you're probably going to see lower close rates than other sources as well. So those are three big signals that, that you'll be seeing. And these are what hopefully you're the reason why you want to switch to a true demand gen strategy, what that's all going to do. So the final step in, in some of the historicals I like to say is then it's like, okay, how do we prioritize all of this when we are making the switch? So there's three, okay, maybe four, um, four of the levers that we'll wanna pull here. And they're gonna be in order of how I would approach it if I were coming in. So the first one would be demo to hero rate. I know this isn't the one on the top, but there is a reason why I wanna do this. Um, you can insert some pretty common fixes quickly here. So this is, when you think of the common frustrations or the reason that you have a low rate, it's because you're playing back and forth with the SDR and the prospect to try to schedule a meeting. Um, data isn't syncing properly from the, the form into your CRM. Um, the, the initial discovery call with the, the prospect is answering the same questions they already did. They just want pricing, they want something else. They get aggravated. They found a, a competitor and they've moved along quicker there. So there's a lot of things you can do early on on that stage. And usually you'll see um, you can you can bump that up by a couple percentage points early on in your first 90 days. Second one is demo quality or volume. So when you're when you're thinking like coming from this lead gen model, um, you usually aren't going to see a big impact to this until about one to two quarters of the programs running. You absolutely will influence the number, but just because you're going to be educating the market, you're not forcing them into this, you're not going to see the big spikes in volume. You're gonna see less more often than not, but also the quality, it's gonna take a little bit for that, for that snowball to start going. Third one, win rate, that's a function of the, the former one we just spoke about, plus your sales cycle length. So again, that's gonna take a little bit. And then the final one is spend. So once you get those above three in a good place, so your demo to hero rate is good, you're, you're driving good demo quality at an affordable rate, and your win rate's in a good spot, that's when you should probably see a pretty low ad CAC payback period, which is your signal. Like we need to be throwing more, more gas on this fire if we're ready to grow. So that's the steps. Um, toss in your revenue target if you have it. Play with your model. Have some fun. Figure out how you're going to achieve that. I'm going to step off the pedestal now because I've been talking for way too long and really want to hear your thoughts on, like, now that we've gotten the, the historicals here, like, how should you be laying the foundation with this knowledge to set yourself up for success for the, the next 90 days? Yeah, there's a, I would say, foundational period, which is going to take most of that 90 days. And a lot of these things are gonna run in parallel, right? Like you can do your audit and kind of go through the data and look through that. We call it a revenue performance analysis. And okay, back. we call it a revenue performance analysis that you know should take you, you know, I don't know, two weeks if you have 
decent data to run and analyze and make recommendations. While you're doing that, um, there's almost like an operational, um, what we call infrastructure audit that you could do as well. Knowing that you are planning to switch from reporting on everything at a lead level that's direct response attributable, there are key components of the infrastructure that you're going to need to implement within the first 90 days before you even get to launching your first program or your first experiment. So that's like step one is audit your data and then also audit your infrastructure and make those changes before you're even ready to start thinking about like net new programs and start getting all of that going. So some of those things around infrastructure is, you know, auditing your capture demand infrastructure, right? That's like, hopefully that's in a decent place, but I also see there's, there's a lot of opportunity there sometimes with certain people, with certain clients with um, just UTMs, forms, passing correct data, especially for Google ads. You know, you want to get your GCLID passed all the way to Salesforce. It would be ideal to set up your Salesforce conversions in Google ads and just making sure you're passing all that data in the CRM at the right to the right level that you might need, which would be all the way to close one. Um, secondly, on the more create demand infrastructure, you should be implementing things like um hybrid attribution, which is something we talk about a lot, which is self-reported attribution, adding that form on your field, making sure that's mapped all the way to the lead contact opportunity and close one as well. And then making sure your sort, whatever you use for source channel and those types of things, people call them various things in CRMs uh, and last converting campaign, things like that. You also want to make sure that is all mapped to the revenue as well. So audit all of that, do that, set yourself up for success. Um, the infrastructure and the audit are two key inputs to this framework, which we call revenue R&D. So then you should have an output after you've done everything Sam has told you to do. You should have an output of like, here are our current programs and here's where they fall um, in this phased approach. And I'll just briefly touch on what that looks like. So in your, um, we recommend using a revenue R&D pipeline for this. Um, there's lots more information on our website about it, but you, we have essentially five phases that your program can go into. Experiment, positive signals, repeatability, operation and scale, and fully integrated. Likely if you're coming into this, you're gonna audit and show that your lead gen program is nowhere near phase three, four, or five as it should be based on the criteria, exit criteria. So um, that's an easy one to just cut, so we're not going to do. And then how you wanna formulate what experiments and programs you wanna try and start, you know, limit it to one or two, I would say, and uh, make sure that those start in the experiment phase. And basically what that means is you're setting the expectations with your stakeholders that this is an experiment. It's going to take time to validate. The exit criteria for your experiment is going to be 10 pipe conversions, for example. And that will kind of allow you to have a framework to kind of transition and try new programs and experiments into your mix while setting 
key gates, which are, which is exit criteria to know kind of if the holistic program is working and impacting the business. Um, so hopefully at the end of the 90 days, you have an idea of which net new experiments and programs you're going to put in market. And then there's probably already existing programs that you're going to need to change or uh, make optimizations to, which are mainly probably on the capture demand side. You can start those quick wins or um, what we call them kind of quick wins of existing programs in the 90 days. It's probably going to take you a little, maybe 60 to 120 days to launch like the net new experiments and programs and really set yourselves up for success there. And the reason I say it's going to take you a while is one, you're new to the organization, but another key input and requirement into your first 90 days of launching programs and taking a look at like this framework is going to be research and content. <laughs> so that's, I think, one thing that gets overlooked a lot in the first 90 days um, it's going to be an ongoing thing outside of your first 90 days, but something kind of good to think about and start there. So let's get into, that's kind of the step three, right? Like, yeah. What right type of content? <laughs> I, have, I have a question. I feel like yes. I'm the yeah. only person who wants to know. Um, this may or may not have come from other people asking. <laughs> Say you're joining an organization that hasn't done self-reported attribution, but they've been running Google forever. They've been running LinkedIn ads forever. Would you go and put say they, you know, their Google program, would you be confident saying that they're in phase three or phase two or, or any of a specific spot without that type of um, data? Or would you just come in and say, you know what, everything's in, in phase one experimentation? Great question. For capture demand channels, it's very easy to say, yep, you know, Google ads is in um, phase two, which means it's delivered uh, pipe conversions, but it hasn't delivered um, X amount of pipeline. Or, um, you know, to get it in phase three, which is re repeatability, it needs to deliver that pipeline consistently. So maybe you're in phase two, we know Google Ads is delivering pipeline, we can prove that, but it's not consistent yet. So great, Google Ads is going to be in phase two. And part of the strategy is we're going to deploy this two tactics over the next 60 days to see if we can move it closer to that exit criteria and obtain the exit criteria to get it to repeatable. So that's an example of taking an existing program you're running where you can report on it and understand where it is and then making part of your strategy to move it to the next phase. If honestly, if you're running lead gen, the data is going to show you that likely it's going to be in phase two, maybe like if you're lucky, if you have attributable conversions, but probably not, the the data will show you it's probably in phase one still. And maybe you've been running it for a year. So I would shut that off. And lead gen, for example, let's just say you're running lead gen on LinkedIn. Lead gen is a tactic and an initiative for LinkedIn, right? You're going to do LinkedIn paid is your initiative. And then your tactic is lead gen campaigns. So really you just need to shut down that tactic and redeploy a new strategy to then get the program, which would be LinkedIn to phase two, phase three and beyond. So you 
if you're running lead gen, most of your programs are not going to show data that will make it into phase three or four. Maybe prove me wrong. I'd love to see the data. But um, that's how I would approach it is like, you're going to cancel or you're going to stop that tactic and you're going to deploy a new tactic under paid or organic or whatever. And that's how you're going to start moving the program forward. Okay. And that's where it'd be back to experimentation because yes. it's the tactic within it. Perfect. Yeah. All right, I'm going to kick step three over to you, kick it off, and we'll go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, so the content, that was the, the second part of their question was, you know, implementing a demand gen and content strategy in an effort to move beyond traditional lead gen. So we'll kind of skip the, the generics that you see everywhere, like go talk to your customers, go develop sales relationships. Like, you know, we could say all those same things that, that everyone's heard time and again. So let's think about some other other different things that, that might help a marketer come out of the gate. So first one I, I like to think about um, is having not just a point of view, but a unique point of view, especially like there's very few category creators. I know it's a big thing right now, but when you think about it, many SaaS companies are competing in a, a category, whether it's, you know, some competition, heavy competition, but the difference between those that I think are more memorable and stand out from a demand gen perspective from the content side is when you have a distinct point of view on how your ICP should be able to be going about doing something or whatever it is that their, their product or service is solving for. So having having different ways of, of sharing that instead of just the same platitudes, like come read our ebook on the top 10 ways to drive your revenue by a thousand percent, like speak to your your point of view like ours attribution's broken like we we go on on that and then a lot of people think of us as that's our demand driver but um i found that if you can have or figure out what your unique point of view early on is that that's that's a big help in guiding okay what content do we need to make as part of this yeah i love that i mean a lot of companies will have like here's our messaging guidelines or here's like our top level company <clears throat> you know, messaging and positioning. And if, if you do it well, that should be your unique point of view. But I, you know, don't see a ton of companies doing that well from a unique perspective. So you can take that. And as a marketing person to figure out how am I going to take this hierarchy, like higher levels, um, strategic narrative, and then put it into something where I can communicate a unique, I can uniquely communicate this to the market. Um, and that's kind of what we like to do here and then like bring that into, okay, what is that going to look like? How are we going to distribute that would be, you know, your next point of view or your next thing. But, um, you know, you can start being where your customer is organically first before you even, you know, jump into paid and you can learn a lot there too. So um, I know that was another recommendation that you had was kind of be where your market is. If they're in communities, if they're wherever they are, be there and just listen and learn. That can also kind of inform like how you might position or change like your unique point of view for the channel or just overall for that persona. Yeah. I think there's a couple things within that that are important. One, um, there is a massive difference between engagement on personal profiles and company and especially, yeah. so that's organic and then layer in ads. And I mean, that's, I mean, I scroll through the feed. I 
I've almost become ad blind as bad as that is to say, since that's what we do. But, um, you know, if you're relying on 0.5% click through rate, and I know a lot of people see stuff in feed, but the engagement, and when you're thinking about content, you want to build stuff that's engaging. So aside from the paid stuff, when you, when you look at it from an organic standpoint, the more that you can have real people having conversations, engaging in other conversations that are going on, you're going to become that much more memorable because it's not like, Oh yeah, Refine Labs is a is a company, but like, oh yeah, Sydney just commented on my post the other day, and I read and looked at her stuff. It was great. Like, you're that much more stickier when you have someone's face to the company. So I think that's a, a really important thing, and then that can all also inform the mediums that you're going to be creating your content in. So what we learned early on from Chris on LinkedIn is his videos kill it versus the written format that had dominated traditionally for a while. So. When we started working with with different customers and, and other people, we put more, we, I guess we said like, you know, you should go in sooner on video in this platform. You will see it works well. You know, you're gonna have to think about how you view your metrics. Click-through rate isn't the end all be all, but people like to view it and consume it in feed. You have closed captions, um, everything else, but that's going to help you think about, okay, do I do audio, written, video, PDF, ebook, this, that, like, you can start to figure out what are the mediums that people engage with most and then use that to inform when you start to scale with paid or, or anything else that's going to help you crack some of those platforms as well. Yeah. And I'd say definitely like test that, you know, like obviously, you know, just video in general is, is a great performing, you know, placement e either on your personal brand or, or paid, but um, you know, we're seeing a lot of cool things with document ads right now on uh, you, you may have noticed some of us at Refine Labs are testing that on our personal profiles. Right. So, you know, experiment, see what's going on. <clears throat> it also, you know, depends on maybe the video. Video is so heavy on the first, you know, 10, 20 seconds. And I mean, so is anything, but for that motion and that person that's speaking, like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of variables. So I would say also test to see what resonates, but you can't just like pick one and just only deploy that and like expect to like iterate and get compounding results. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. The organic is where you learn to adapt to the platform. Like ads yeah. are always playing catch up when you think about it. So that's where it's like, okay, you're seeing the shift and people like the, the slides, the documents. So now we start saying, okay, like customers, let's go and try a couple of these as we're seeing more and more engagement there. So um, yeah, I really like that, that full circle loop there. All um, right. What's your take? I've been thinking a little bit about this, but um, I don't want to call them influencers. I hate the term influencer. It's totally been ruined, but um, trusted voices in this space. So it's kind of community, kind of thought leaders, whatever you want to call them. But there are certain people that you respect their opinions and thoughts on certain things. So is that something that we should be thinking about more, like whether it's contributing to a blog or um, if you have a podcast, like having them on, is that something that, that, I guess more marketers should be looking into? I think so. I think there's two aspects of that. You should figure out how to, maybe not yourself, but for someone in your company or, you know, someone to be that person for your company and like grow the audience. That's like one strategy, right? And then the other strategy is then how can I go connect and, you know, build relationships with other people in the space and kind of, tap into their network and which a lot of people have done through podcasts, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to interview this person because they talk about this. My audience really likes them. 
and, you know, they're really respected. So then that will drive people to listen to my podcast that only gets you so far in so many episodes. So, um, we, I would say you definitely want to kind of do both at the same time, build that in-house to kind of own an audience or, you know, build an audience for your personal brand, or if you're using personal brand for your business, um, and engage with others. So I've seen more frequently people doing collaborations, um, you know, it's like co-marketing, but it's, it's not co-marketing from a brand anymore, how you traditionally think about co-marketing. It's co-marketing from creators. Um, so I've seen a couple companies do really cool collaborations to like reach into new audiences or um, deeper into their existing audience. I've even seen a couple companies, you know, literally partner and they've called them brand ambassadors. Like, yes, yeah, so they may have their own business or work for a different company, but I'm a brand ambassador. Or I'm an ex and I create content and I, you know, kind of rep that brand, but they would only rep that brand if they had a good relationship, they believed in the product, they're not going to abuse their audience for something just for like a paycheck. Because if they do that, their audience will not engage with them anymore. <laughs> so I think that I think you should do both, um, you know, whether one you do first and second or at the same time. Yeah, no, it's... Um... It's a good point. And it's interesting. It's like, yeah, partnering and partner 2.0, so to speak. It's like, you're not getting a commission based on you doing that, but it's something that sits in between that and general word of mouth. Like I had someone reach yes. out to me. It's like, Hey, I'm starting up a podcast. I do not have the time or expertise to chop up my videos, do the clips. Do you know someone who can? And from relationships, I was like, Oh yeah, go to this company. They, they do a great job, all that. Like I'm not getting commissioned off of it or anything, but because that individual and I have been engaging back and forth, you know, that type of trust is there. Um, that's where it's like an adjacent to what we do. So being able to leverage those types of, of relationships, I think is, uh, is an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. They, oh, sorry, go you ahead. Know, first 90 days is also true. Like maybe figure out how you might start humanizing your brand more. You can't do it overnight. It's going to take, it's going to be way beyond your 90 days, but maybe think about that component of, you know, at the end of the 90 days, or, you know, when you kind of present and create your plan, specifically when you're thinking about content strategy is like, how can I humanize this? Because people want to buy from people. This is not revolutionary. Um, so it's just becoming more popular and I think accepted now in content creation than it previously was. So think, think about that to kind of finish off your like content strategy plan. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Well, those are some uh, some good recommendations overall. So hopefully those those help in your first ninety. I know it's easy for us to you know we could add this list for days, but it's like okay, ninety days. There's only so many hours in the day. Um, yeah, so we'd love to hear you know how this goes for this individual if they get started, or if there's other things that that people would want to add. Let us know. Love it. All right, we'll be back a couple of weeks with another episode. <laughs> Bye, everyone.